Very good to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, thank you very much. Very, very excited about this. Uh, as these slides are coming around to you, uh, there's going to be some, uh, some stuff here that you can see. I did not bring the right connection for my laptop, so therefore I'm not able to show these, but you'll be able to see them. You'll be able to get the, get the idea of what it is that you're seeing. But what I'm going to be speaking about to you tonight is about the dangers of the charismatic movement. The dangers of the charismatic movement. Now, one thing has to be made known before we begin this, and that is that above all, what I've been praying for on this and what I have put at the forefront as I study this is above all, I want to present what is the truth. I want to be truthful in this because I know that if it is the truth, it is what God has intended. When it comes to topics such as this that tend to be controversial, it's very common that sometimes truth will kind of be pushed to the side a little bit if I can get my point across a little bit better. You see this quite often. You see it all the time, and in fact, you see it a lot in debate tactics. In fact, uh, the purpose of a debate, really, or the goal of a debate is to win. The goal is to win. And sometimes Sometimes people do that by whatever means necessary. In fact, I've read some debates and things where you just really see where some people kind of forsake maybe something that is some of the, the truth a little bit to try to hammer their point down. Uh, sometimes you see this, and again, that's not what I want to do tonight. That's not the intentions of this. Instead, what I want to do is I want to, um, I want to identify something that is very, very problematic. Now, the reason that it's problematic is because there is a denial of what the Bible actually says as it is associated with this. So again, I want to present the truth. I want us to come to the conclusion that we come to in a very truthful manner. Regardless, regardless of what a denominational tag says, regardless of this or that or a name of a church, I want to come to the conclusion that is right and truthful with what the Word of God actually says. So the dangers of the charismatic movement, specifically talking about miraculous spiritual gifts, miraculous spiritual gifts and the charismatic movement. Now, what is the charismatic movement? And if you have a copy of those slides with you, you can follow along with what I'm saying here. That first slide is titled, What is the Charismatic Movement? Now, most charismatic churches, most of them who hold to that title, they bring their history back to an event that's known as the Azusa Street Revival that took place in Los Angeles, California in the year 1906. Now, first of all, that's a red flag that deserves our attention. Not a red flag saying that it's automatically heresy because even the ABA has an original date that it began. However, it's a red flag that you want to look into that if we say that our teachings go back to 1906, if we say that the doctrine we stand upon goes back to 1906, my question is, between 1906 and between the first churches that we read about in the book of Acts, what's going on? Or the, the teachings of Jesus, what is, what, what's going on between there? So that's an automatic red flag that comes up. But nevertheless, there was this revival that took place, the Azusa Street Revival. And the evangelist that they got was a man by the name of William Joseph Seymour who came out from Houston, Texas. William Joseph Seymour was actually a student of a man by the name of Charles Parham. Charles Parham is basically the one who is credited for being the father of the charismatic 
charismatic movement. Charles Parham was a man who suffered many illnesses in his life and in the 1800s he claimed to people that through prayer or through whatever means that he had overcome these. And some of them were very, very interesting to say the least. Some of them were things that, that uh, would just boggle your mind, the things that he told people, no evidence, but he told people of the diseases that he had overcome. William Joseph Seymour was one of his students, one of his students that he taught for years and years and years. And whenever William Joseph Seymour was at this revival in Los Angeles, California, he began to promote the teachings of Charles Parham. He began to teach this during the first night there. And by the second night, the church said, okay, you're not coming back. They said, whatever it is that you're saying, this doesn't match up with Scripture, so uh, don't come back. You can go on back to Houston. So they did not let him continue. However, there were some at the church who invited him there to, his, to their home, and he basically began a house church there where more people began to come and more people began to come. And he promoted these teachings that basically said from the doctrine of Charles Parham that you will speak in tongues as evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. So the teaching that he promoted, firstly, was that you have the Holy Spirit if you are speaking in tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, that means that the Holy Spirit is not upon you. And now he promoted this teaching and he continued to promote it for weeks there in Los Angeles until there was a great following that was built up. And many people, many uh, people joined this. The following was uh, it grew even more and it grew even more to the point where even it became a major event that occurred. And it continued to grow and many people began to have these testimonies of something they referred to as being drunk in the Spirit, something that they brought back to the book of Acts chapter 2 where they got that idea from. They talked about that it was a similar scene of what you see in the book of Acts. They said, we are drunk in the Spirit and that's what happens to us whenever the Holy Ghost comes upon us. And that, that belief just it continued to, prop, to keep going and it was propagated. And by, the, by about the 1970s, about the 1970s as it continued to grow, the movement expanded all the way across America and over into Europe. So it expanded into Europe and by about the 1980s, there were new denominations that had actually evolved from it. So you no longer had just what is known as the, the charismatic movement. You now have other denominations that are coming up and coming out of this. To where in our point today, there are many sub-denominations and there is reported to be roughly about 120 million followers of the charismatic movement worldwide. Now that's a lot of people following this movement. Now many of the things that I've already mentioned, such as you don't have the Holy Spirit unless you show evidence by, uh, by speaking in tongues, Many of you already know that those teachings are found nowhere in the Bible. So the question is, how is it that people believe this? How is it that this belief continues to go on and that it's continually readily accepted? Now, let me add this in. Let me say that just because, just because you encounter somebody, an individual, who says that they are a member of a charismatic church, 
do not automatically assume that they are under the umbrella of Charles Parham or those guys. Don't automatically assume that that's what takes place because there is basically a spectrum with this where you have the far end of the spectrum and then you have some people who honestly really seem to be very theologically sound. So the first question I want to bring out is why would there be dangers? Why would there be dangers that are associated with this? Well, there is the potential to misrepresent God. That's the first reason. That's the first uh, reason. That's, that's the primary thing there. There is the potential to misrepresent God. But also the question is how do we avoid these dangers? Okay, If these teachings are being promoted like they have been for a long time, how do we avoid these dangers? The simple answer, the simple answer I'll give to you is to know the Word of God. Know what the Word of God says. Know exactly what God has written. This adds protection as far as how to avoid these things. So you see uh, you've got a slide there on your handout that is titled Spiritual Gifts. Spiritual Gifts. This is the understanding. This is the first understanding that we must have here is the one about spiritual gifts. What is a spiritual gift? Well, it's basically uh, identified as a gift that is given by the Spirit. The Bible mentions many spiritual gifts in Romans 12, also in 1 Corinthians 12. You have kind of some lists that are brought out there. Among those spiritual gifts that you read about there, you see things that are in there such as teaching, such as uh, a given ability to teach or uh, encouragement even. Uh, I think of Barnabas whenever I think about that gift of encouragement. Barnabas who was known as uh, son of consolation, one who was an encourager towards people. Uh, there's all kinds of gifts that are brought out, but even you see uh, in the Bible that we read about the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, and these other gifts that are talked about. But the question, the big question is, do these gifts still exist today? Do these gifts still exist today? So in order to arrive at that answer, we must first look at this question, why were spiritual gifts given? Why is it that the church even received, or why did anybody even receive spiritual gifts to begin with? Before the church, you notice that miracles were used uh, many times to authenticate a new message. For example, whenever it came to Moses, the Bible tells us in Exodus 4 verse 1, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, and they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. It was right after this that God gave Moses the ability to perform certain miraculous events, in that he was able to put his hand into his bosom and pull it out and it would be leprous, put it in, pull it out, and leprosy would be gone. He could throw his staff onto the ground and it would turn into to a serpent. God gave him these abilities in order that the confirmation would be known of the very message that God was sending him on. Now also we have this with Elijah as well. Listen to this out of 1 Kings 17 verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these seven years, but according to my word. First of all, we see God getting glory over that whole instance. We see God getting glory with that whole situation. But other than that, what we also see is we see the confirmation as well to Ahab, hey, this guy's not fooling around. The message is in fact 
exact. It is exactly what God has said. We also see in Jesus' ministry that His whole ministry was marked by miracles. There were miracles all throughout His ministry that we see that sometimes you get the idea that these are about the confirmation of a message that He's presenting. And also in the book of Acts, you see also with the apostles, their ability, you see their ability to perform miracles in a way that their own apostleship was also confirmed by the miracles that they were performing. We see that spiritual gifts were given as a way to edify the body of Christ. They edified the believers. They were given as a way that not that I would be selfish with my spiritual gift, okay? If I've been given the gift of encouragement, and if I don't encourage you, I've been selfish with that, and that's not the point of the gift at all. The point of the gift is to build up the fellow believers. The point of the gift is to edify the church. We have evidence in Scripture, specifically coming out of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that the gift of tongues as opposed to being for the believers, was actually for the non-believers. Prophecy or teaching or preaching being for the believers, but also tongues being for the non-believers that they would hear the gospel and that they would believe upon the message. We also find that spiritual gifts were given by grace. They were given purely by the grace of God and they were based on, they were not based on worthiness or based upon personal ability. They were not based upon any of this. So it may be in the early church that if you say, that guy really seems like he would be a good teacher, God may not have given him the gift of teaching. Or if you say, that person really seems like they'd be good at prophecy, God may not have given them that ability. We read in Romans 12, verses 3 through 8, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according to God, uh, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to, the, according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. The gift was something that was given as the name implies, by grace. And that's a major point that you've got to see. That's a major point that all people need to see is that a spiritual gift is not something that I can teach to you because the Spirit gives the gift. Instead, God is the one who enables. God is the one who teaches. No other individual teaches that gift. We're going to get into some stuff that's, that's pretty wild and out there as we, un, as we uncover this and show this. But some of these are things that were released five months ago, such as the profit certificate that any of you could have received, by the way, if you would have paid them $5,000. So if you don't have your ticket, if you don't have your certificate, that's your fault. 
Maybe you didn't know about it. But there was really, there is in fact a preacher who was giving out these profit courses. And if you pay him $5,000 over the course of a couple of months, it does take a couple of months to become a prophet apparently, they would present you with this certificate that you are now a prophet. And you can take that certificate, you can put it in a nice frame, you can hang that on your wall, and anybody who comes by will see that you have passed the course. You are a certified prophet. What's the problem with that? The problem with that is that it is foolish completely because the gifts of God can't be taught by man. It, it voids the exact definition of it. A spiritual gift. It's a gift of the very Spirit. It, here's, here's the irony in this. Even within the charismatic movement, their own name, their own name is even a contradiction of this. The charismatic word there comes from a Greek word, uh, uh, charismata. Is that right? Okay. Which means great. It means great. I shouldn't even got there. I got two Greek teachers here. I, I'm not even going to do that again. We're, but it comes from that Greek word that means grace gift. Grace gift. You receive this gift by grace. So even from their own definition of what their own movement means, it's just ironic to think that I could teach somebody this gift. And that's something you see very, very commonly, is that people will continue to try to teach the gift and people will continue to try to promote that. Now, along this lines also of why were spiritual gifts given, we get some further information on this out of 1 Corinthians 12. And I'm going to read to you verses 21 through 26. This says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the body that the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You have there again the purpose of the spiritual gifts. You have the very purpose there. It's obvious even within this local church here, you have mature members, you have mature Christians, but you also have immature Christians, some who may not have been a Christian for very long, or some maybe who just aren't interested in growing like they should be. But even with all of this, you've got that plus this different gifts that have been given and God needs no help in understanding this or in giving out the gifts. God has the perfect plan and God knows exactly what North Bryant needs. He knows exactly what every individual needs. He knows exactly what gift to give you in order to honor Him. So God needs absolutely no help in this aspect of it whatsoever. So that brings us to this next point which kind of goes along uh, that question that we asked, do these gifts still exist today? And at the top of one of those slides, you see a heading that's titled Sensationism versus Continuationism. Normally, people are going to fall into one of these two categories. Sensationists say that miraculous spiritual gifts have ceased. Sensationists say 
that gifts that are basically a miracle that individuals would, would do, those do not exist any longer. However, continuists say that all spiritual gifts are still in effect, that all spiritual gifts are still in effect, and these have not stopped. Now, the question is not, understand this, the question is not, does God still perform miracles? That's not the question. I firmly believe that God still performs miracles and He can do whatever He wants. He doesn't have to ask me. He doesn't have to ask anybody what it is that He needs to do. He can do whatever He wants whenever. The question is, does He still use believers to perform the miracles? That is the question that we are looking at. Now, the two extremes that come from this is you have the extremes all the way to this side for the extreme cessationists who say that all gifts have stopped completely. They say it's all done. They say everything. They say there's no gift of encouragement. They say that there's no gift of teaching. There's no gift of anything at all. They say that all gifts have stopped completely. Some would even argue with Paul in 1 Corinthians, and they would say that there are no abiding spiritual gifts, faith, hope, and love, but that all of this has stopped. Good luck with that. But then you go all the way to the other extreme, the extreme continuationists, and they say, well... What they say, it's kind of a long road. It's a long, difficult, curvy road. And sometimes this road is funny. Many, many times it's sad. But ultimately what it is, is it's blasphemy towards God. And the reason why it is blasphemy towards God is because, again, ironically, it limits the power of the Holy Spirit in the efforts where man has to contribute something to help the Holy Spirit do His work. Where man has to do something out of his depraved nature in order to help God get His work done because maybe he needs a little assistance with this. Again, it is blasphemy in its very, very nature. So the gifts that define the charismatic movement, understand this, these are the ones that set the charismatic movement apart from what it is that we would traditionally believe or that doctrinally sound individuals would believe. And these are the gifts that basically define the charismatic movement. First of all, apostleship. There's also tongues, prophecy, divine healing, and miracles. All of these, whenever you go to the far extreme of the continuationists, they believe that all of these are active and that anybody can have this gift bestowed upon them at absolutely any time whatsoever. So this first gift, I want to look at these individually. This first gift, apostleship, or this first gift, being an apostle, what exactly is that? We're informed that apostleship is basically one who is sent. One who is sent out. God has sent this one forth to do a specific task, whether it's preach the message, whether it's whatever he has got, it's one that he has sent out. Now some within the charismatic movement, they claim to be apostles. Now before I progress with this, I want to say that... Uh, I don't know what you think, what you feel about name calling or this or that, but the purpose of what I'm about to do with all of this is so that you can be warned and so that you can look out for all of this, okay? And if you don't think that that's important, I promise you that it is extremely important. It is extremely important that you see who is teaching, that you listen, that if you hear somebody's teaching, you are able to compare that against the Word of God. 
that you are able to see this is what they're preaching from, this is what it says, and this is why they have said what they said. It is important that you are able to identify all of this alongside the Word of God and really see what it means. So, someone that I know of who claims to be an apostle is a man by the name David Taylor. He is known as the Apostle David Taylor. That is the title that he chooses, not Mr. David Taylor, not Sir David Taylor. He is Apostle David Taylor. That is the title that he chooses. And if you've got those slides, you see there's a picture there. It may be difficult to see, but what that is a picture of, that's a picture of a miracle crusade that he put on two years ago. He put that on and in his picture he is holding just armfuls of crutches and just canes and walkers and things like that. So the picture is basically saying, hey, come on, get your healing. The picture is basically saying, if you're on crutches, I'm about to do away with them. I'm about to do away with all of this. Come forward and get your healing. That's the idea that is brought out. And that's what many of these individuals say, especially whenever they put these crusades on. Uh, I remember watching some interesting things one time. Whenever I was in college, I was flipping through the channels, and I remember I came on to an episode of Benny Hinn preaching. And um, uh, I thought, man, I don't want to watch this, but, but I'm kind of interested. I want to see what he has to say. And I left it on there for just a second, and he called somebody out from the orchestra. It was a lady who was playing the violin. He calls her out from the orchestra, and he says, you have been having pain in your knee. You have not been able to walk correctly. Is that right? She shakes her head, yes. And he says, I'm going to heal that right now. Puts his hand on her head, prays some kind of prayer, all this stuff, and then pushes her a little bit, and he says, it's healed, isn't it? And she said, yeah. And he said, uh, he said okay, great. He said, walk around. She walks around for a little bit, and she says, it's healed. And then he says, okay, great. She walks right back over here. She gets right back up in the orchestra and keeps playing the violin. What testimony like that do you ever see in the Bible? Do you ever see anybody being healed where they just say, thank you, Jesus. I'll listen to you again when you come back tomorrow. And then go about that. No! You always see excitement. You see people who are just excitement, just as anybody would be. Anybody would be excited over this, but that's the testimony that you commonly get. You get things, and mind you that this is subjective, by the way. This is what I am, I am drawing out from subjective, uh, uh, what I'm noticing here. But still, there should be some kind of glorifying to God. There should be something, at least, that somebody's excited about. But you don't see it. You don't see it, which is... A red flag. The second one here, tongues. Tongues. The two that are the most prevalent in our nation today by far are tongues and prophecy. In the charismatic movement, those are the two that are by far the most prevalent, tongues and prophecy, because those can easily be seen, easily. You can easily make a prophetical statement. You can easily make some kind of statement. Your whole church hears that. You can easily get up there and you can say something out of your mouth that sounds like nothing I've ever heard before. And everybody notices that. They see it. It is all visual. And that's what it comes down to. Tongues. The Bible clearly teaches that the gift of tongues was used to communicate the gospel to other languages. The first instance of this we have is in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. We see that those apostles were able to speak in a language where all of those around could understand it. All of those from the other nations who had come and gathered up at that time, they understood all that was being said. Now, the charismatics say that tongues are used as a personal prayer language. So again, what many of the extremists say 
is they say that you can get alone with God or you can get in public with others and you've got a personal prayer language that you speak towards God. If this were the case, I think that the Bible would mention this a little bit more and give you at least some details on it, but it's not there. Some say that you are not saved until you speak in tongues. In fact, I know of charismatic churches in the area that I live in who say that you have not truly been redeemed. They say that you have not experienced salvation until the Holy Spirit has given you the ability to speak in a tongue. Again, what is the problem with that? The problem is that they then extend that over to making a class of teaching people tongues. So whereas North Bryant is having vacation Bible school this particular week, a particular church may have a week of tongue teaching that they will bring in all the young people who they don't think are saved or who hasn't taught in tongues and they will have a class Well, they will teach them how to talk in tongues. It goes completely against the very, very definition of what it is, spiritual gift. God is going to give it. You cannot teach it. In fact, there are many, many testimonies of people saying that they encountered somebody who told them, look, just say this word and they'll give them a certain word to say and they'll say, just repeat that over and over and then add another word to it. They teach them how to do a spiritual gift. Complete nonsense. But what do they always leave out? What they always leave out whenever it comes to tongues, always, I've never heard one mention it, that is the gift of interpretation. The gift of interpretation is mentioned alongside the gift of tongues. So what would happen in the early church that we read about in Corinth, that we read about there, we see that there would perhaps be someone who would have the gift of tongues in that they could speak a gift had there be somebody at their assembly who spoke a different language or whatever the cause be, and they would speak that, and then there would have to be perhaps an interpreter. There would be an interpreter that Paul commanded, whereas if somebody who they were speaking in their language could maybe understand this, or if it was something that nobody else understood, the interpreter was able to understand this and to get this point across. Perhaps, again, perhaps it was confirmation of the apostleship, perhaps. However, you always find that there is, in fact, the gift of interpretation, but it is never mentioned in the charismatic movement. We listen to this out of 1 Corinthians 14, verses 27 and 28. If any man... These are instructions that Paul gave towards the uh, church at Corinth. If any man speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at least three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself, uh, to himself and God. So if there was no interpreter, an individual was to be quiet. Now, the next one we come to is the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy that we see there. Many charismatic preachers consistently make prophecies. This is something that is extremely prevalent in our world today. Extremely. There are prophecies being brought out all the time, every single day. That man that I told you about uh, calls himself the Apostle David Taylor. That man made a prophecy a few years ago where he said that the Denver Broncos would win the 2014 Super Bowl. He said that they would win that Super Bowl. And he gave this about two or three minute video that he released to his church and everybody who would listen to it. 
And he said there that somebody else had already told him, somebody else told him that the score was going to be 24 to 21. Well, if any of you can remember the 2014 Super Bowl, the actual score was 43 to 8, and Denver lost to the Seattle Seahawks. They got annihilated in one of the absolute worst uh, beatings that there ever was in the Super Bowl. It went completely against prophecy. So he is, in fact, a false prophet. Wrong. All charismatic prophets, last year, about rough, or whenever the election was, every charismatic, they came out of the woodworks. They came out of everywhere, and they all made a public prophecy that Trump would serve two consecutive terms as president. All of them did. And then when Trump did not serve two consecutive uh, terms as president, then excuses came out such as, well, the election was rigged, he's robbed, all of this stuff. But ultimately what many people had to say was many people confessed and they said, I'm sorry. They said, I was wrong. That was within me. God is always right, but I was wrong on that one. And what do their churches do? Their churches say, that's okay, pastor. That's okay. We still follow you completely against what the Bible says. Because according to the Bible, if a man was wrong with a prophecy, he's not a prophet of God. If a man refused, if a man had one prophecy wrong, one, just one, he's not a prophet of God. If he had just one. But yet all of these people, all of these people, they look at that man who stands in the pulpit or does whatever it is, and they look at him as the only person who can possibly reveal truth to them, denying their very own Bible that they should be getting their truth from. It's a dangerous mess. Divine healing and miracles is the next one that we come to. Divine healing and miracles. Many charismatic preachers claim to have the ability to heal. Now, I've got kind of a list there of some of the most famous ones, and this is by no means the complete list. There are so many more. Some of the most famous, though, are Benny Hinn, who I've already mentioned. Benny Hinn constantly claims to have the ability to heal. Even at one time a few years ago, you might have recalled that it actually made some, uh, some news uh, where Benny Hinn supposedly renounced some of his teachings. He actually renounced uh, part of the prosperity and this and that. And it wasn't just a couple of weeks later. It's like that never happened. It's like, that's, it's like he didn't know that Benny Hinn that did that. And... He's just right back at it. And he's just back at it going with these divine healings and miracles, just doing whatever it is that he wants to do. Todd Bentley is another one. Again, the reason that, the reason that I'm naming these names is so that you know of people to ultimately compare the teaching against the Word of God. If you ever encounter this or if you ever encounter somebody who is holding to their teachings or following it, just tell them, Tell them, what does the Word of God say versus what they are saying? Todd Bentley is one who is just borderline chaotic. Todd Bentley is one who told this testimony, who told this story of being at a funeral and walking up and putting his hand upon the one in the casket and that person rose from the dead, raised up and got out of the coffin. I would think that everybody else at that funeral would take note of that. But he's the only one who bears that testimony. Maybe the others who were there need some more time. I don't know. He also tells this story of, going, of calling somebody up on stage who was sick, and he says that God told him to kick her in the face with his biker boots and she would be healed. And he supposedly says that he kicked that woman in the face and she was healed of whatever it was. 
all kinds of stuff like that that's just, you said, how does, you can't make this stuff up. How do you, where do they get that from? And then there's Todd White. Todd White is one who got very famous for his actual street preaching or street miracles rather, where he would go out on the street, he would call somebody to sit down, and he would call somebody to sit down who had one leg that was maybe longer than the other, and he would grab both of their, the bottom of their heels right here, and he would pull them, he would pull them until they got evened out. And they would get up and then they were able to walk perfectly. And he would do this always with a crowd around and with a camera on it. He always did that. And he claimed to have this ability just to help people where they could walk better. And stuff like this is what, def is what really is shown in his teaching as well. Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. All of these that I've listed, you're never ever going to get any in-depth teaching in the Word of God. Okay? That is an ultimate red flag there. Nobody goes in-depth. Nobody. They never go in-depth. All they will do, and I promise you this, that if you were ever to listen to one of their sermons, it honestly sounds like the, the text that they get up there and read on Sunday morning, it honestly sounds like that's the first time that they've read it that week. It honestly sounds like they just open the Bible and they say, okay, I'll preach here. And then they read that and then their whole sermon is characterized by that. That's, it, nothing is ever in depth. Nothing is ever in depth. And as I've heard one theologian point out before, is that if spiritual gifts are continuing, the miraculous spiritual gifts, if they are continuing, do you really think that God is going to give those miraculous spiritual gifts to the ones who, are the, who have some of the worst theology ever? Do you really think that they're going to impart those to the ones who don't get in depth on anything and don't teach anything uh, theologically? So there's also Robert Tilton. Some of you, that probably rings a bell. Robert Tilton got very famous. Really, he started kind of back in the 50s where he would do these tent revivals. And Robert Tilton took note that lots of people, whenever all of this stuff was going on, when the charismatic acts were going on and that many people would come to these tent revivals, people would give a lot of money. And they would give a lot of money and a lot of money. And this built up and it built up and it built up till you get to the 80s where Robert Tilton is just a mega millionaire who has just made all kinds of money. Now here is a known fact that you can research for yourself because there were investigators who found this out. Robert Tilton had banks that he was associated with in the 80s. And people who were wanting to be healed or people who would listen to his, his radio show or his television show, whatever it was, they would put a letter. They would perhaps put a letter saying, I've got this going on or my mom has cancer or I've got this disease, whatever. And they would put their check in there, their money in there. They put it in the envelope and they would send that off to Robert Tilton's headquarters. And what investigators found in the 80s, once they came and investigated these banks, is they found that the people who were working there at the banks who were in cahoots with Robert Tilton were receiving the letters. The letters were going directly to the banks, not to Robert Tilton. They were going directly to the banks. They were opening the letter. They were throwing their handwritten letter in the trash, taking the check and depositing the check. And the investigators, they found bags and bags in their trash of just letters that had just been thrown away and never, ever read. But still, 
I haven't checked on him in the last couple of years. Unless he's died or something, he is still teaching. He is still, a couple of years ago, was still doing small little, uh, small little conferences and things and hotel lobbies and stuff like that. Uh, but it's just, it's sickening to think about because people take advantage of people who do not know the Word of God. Kenneth Copeland, another one who is big. Kenneth Copeland is one who is mostly associated with the prosperity gospel more uh, with his, uh, with his uh, personal airport $19 million jet that he has. But um, I, if you need it, you need it. But anyway, he's one, he's one who uh, has gotten into some divine healings and miracles a little bit. Not as much as the other guys, but some of the things that he has done that is known is that, uh, again, he is, he is an uh, extremely... Uh, uh, he loves uh, being a pilot. He loves flying airplanes. That's a hobby of his. That's a passion of his. In fact, not far from where I live at all, there's a little bitty town. Little bit, it's not even a town. They got like a little gas station. You might can get in there and get a corn dog or something. Maybe. Sometimes they got that. But it's a little place called Centerpoint, Arkansas. Just a little place that is actually where his wife is from. And they actually have there a cabin. They call it their prayer cabin that actually my grandfather, who's a carpenter down there, actually remodeled for them some years ago. And actually, there in Centerpoint, Arkansas, he's got, again, it's just a, nothing's there. But there's a, little, there's a little airstrip. There's a little airstrip where he can land and he can get away from the hustle and bustle over around uh, Fort Worth and that area. And he can go and he can stay there at his prayer cabin that he calls it. And now, so he loves flying. He loves all of that stuff. And again, he's, he's very interested in this. And he just has all kinds of jets. And even there where he lives, he's got his own private airport. So he doesn't have to wait at airports. He doesn't have to do that. He's got his own private airport that he can actually take off from. One of the things that he actually quoted whenever he was talking with Jesse Duplantis, who did not make our list, but you probably heard of him. He's an honor, uh, honorable mention, I'll say that. Whenever they were actually speaking together and they were talking about how they couldn't uh, ride in the air or go in the airports together, uh, he was talking about how he just can't, he can't get on that tube filled with demons. He can't get in just that tube filled with demons because then he can't focus on what it is that he needs to focus on. My thought is that, buddy, that's your ministry, is it not? Should it be? Apparently it's not, though. That should be the ministry that is there. But anyway, Kenneth Copeland, while he was flying his airplane, he and his wife Gloria, while they were flying over an ocean at one particular time, they saw a water spout, basically like a, I'm not a scientist by any means, but from what I understand, like a tornado kind of over the water. And they see this. And then Kenneth says, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. And according to Gloria's testimony, she said that, that, that uh, water spout went whoop and right back up in the clouds and just went away. So she told everybody listening to her that you, in fact, have control over the weather if you will have enough faith in God. Then that brings us to Jim Baker. Jim Baker is the one you kind of see the picture of there on your slide. Jim Baker is another one who had massive popularity back roughly around the late 70s and the 80s all through there. He even created his own theme park from all the money that was coming in, which didn't really amount to nothing. But he is arguably one of the biggest prosperity gospel charismatic preachers of all time from all that he did back then. Now, he actually went to prison for some time because he was busted for fraud and for all sorts of other things that were going on. So he went to prison, but he got out of prison. And in case you didn't know, he's back on the scene. And you can't really tell from that picture, you might, or you might can, but in that picture, he has actually began to sell these apocalyptic food survival buckets. 
So you can buy, and I think there's six-gallon buckets, so you get an extra gallon in there in case you want it. But if you're worried about surviving any kind of difficulties that might come about, if you're worried about running out of food, you just get you one of Jim Baker's apocalyptic food buckets, and then you can stow that away, have your stowaway food for some time. Now, the picture is him actually tasting the food. He's showing you that it's very good. And it's just complete nonsense. It's just nonsense. And even um, on his television show, he even has people, he has a, a crew of his, his uh, girls that are up there that are singing the, the BG song Stay Alive and they're singing that talking about how you need to stay alive in the apocalypse and they're talking about the way you do that is by getting this stowaway food. It's just complete nonsense. But he promotes this and that ought to be a red flag just his history. But with all of this, he promotes this even saying such things as he has the ability to heal COVID. Now, if you remember, his latest scandal was that he got sued by the Attorney General of, I believe, I may be wrong on this, but I believe, I believe it was Missouri because he had been selling cures to COVID-19. He had been selling cures to it. And then they weighed this out and said, that's not really curing anything. And so he's in a struggle there that's going on. But still, it's never ending. It's stuff that goes on and on. But again, people believe this stuff. So here's the next slide. Vagueness in, that's supposed to be in, vagueness in the charismatic movement. Now this is something that is extremely prevalent. Do you remember what I said? That they never go in depth. They never go in depth on anything. The teaching is not there. The teaching is simply not there. There's only one person I can think of who falls under the category of charismatic and he's, like, he's not at that extreme at all. He's more on this side. There's only one person I can think of who is actually kind of a decent teacher, but he won't rebuke any of his fellow people. He'll fellowship with them. He won't rebuke nobody. Uh, and that's it. Other than that, there's nobody who goes in depth on anything. Typically, the prophecies are vague. They're extremely vague. Extremely. This is what they're like. The, the prophecies are like this. It's like they say something like... Uh, uh, the, uh, the stock market's going to rise. That's it. They don't say how much. They don't say when. Uh, and if it doesn't rise, then they say, that's what I was talking about five years down the road. It's going to rise. It's always so vague. And all of them are that way. There's no depth to them whatsoever. Never. Or like, we're going to have a president. Okay. That's a given. That's not really prophecy. But they do all of these vague prophecies so that their flock will look at them like, wow, he knows something. He knows something. God must be speaking to him. Or there's always strange phrases that I hear all the time. And this isn't just the far extreme charismatic. These are even people where I live. People who say, like, I've got a word for you. Or people who say, God's got a word for you. My question is, okay, that sound, what do you mean? What does that mean? Explain that to me. And nobody has nobody's yet to explain that to me. I don't know what that means. Or another common expression that I hear is, you're going to feel the anointing. I hear that all the time. You hear it too on the radio or whatever it is. They say, if you buy this CD, if you buy this CD with these singers on it, buddy, you get to track three, you're going to feel the anointing. What is that? I, okay, I want to feel the anointing. What is it? Tell me so I can feel it. I want to know. But it's always so vague. It is always completely vague and people just believe it because it's some kind of religious talk that's been said. It's a religious word that's been said, so people just believe it.
But why would anybody believe this? Why would anybody believe this? There is an apologist who works specifically in this area who goes by the name Jordan Peters. Jordan Peters is an apologist in this specific area who is really an incredible apologist whenever it comes to all this. So what Jordan Peters, his story is this. Jordan Peters is a man who suffers from cerebral palsy, cerebral palsy. He's a man who is confined to a wheelchair and that he only has so much mobility about him with his hands. Can't walk, can't do anything like that. But Jordan Peters is one that when he grew up, as he was growing up, his mother took him to every single crusade that she could, took him to every faith healer that she knew about, everything she could get to in order to get her son healed. Now, can you blame the woman who knows nothing about biblical doctrine, who knows nothing about the Bible, and all she knows is, I have a son who can't get up and play with the rest of the kids. I have a son who's not going to get to have lives like the other kids that I see walking around the street. Can you blame a mother who would hear all of these people or would see on the TV that this person has the ability to heal? Could you blame a mother who doesn't know anything at all about the Bible for trying to do something for her son? To, to a certain extent, you really can't. To a certain extent, you see the mother's love of somebody who's wanting to do something. Now, again, that comes from biblical ignorance, from not knowing the Word of God. So ultimately, ultimately there's no excuse for it whatsoever, especially as prevalent as the Word of God is today. But Jordan Peters went through all of this, his mother dragging him all over the country. He has seen Benny Hinn crusades firsthand. And what he testifies is that what you see on television or you see those up on stage who have been in the back, who have been coached. He says what you see at the back of the room where the cameras are not showing, what you see at the very back is you see people all over who are sitting down and you see people who are hooked up to machines, people who are there with just the only hope whatsoever that they want to get healed and people, he said, who are literally lying down on blankets who can't get up because they're so sick. They had to have people carry them in there and they're wanting to get healed. But you never see those people ever get healed. And Jordan Peters says this, because many people say, why would anybody believe this? Why would anybody believe that God has spoken something to them, specifically in a dream or whatever the case may be? He says this statement. He quotes, it's not the experience I question. He says, it's the source of the experience that I question. With the command that we have to discern the spirits, with the evidence that we see that we are in spiritual warfare constantly all throughout our lives, I wouldn't doubt something like this at all. That there, in fact, may be people who might experience something or have a dream. But again, I question the source. I question the source of the experience. Is that God talking to you? Or is that something else? Because here's what I know. God speaks to me through His Word. Jordan Peters also said this famous statement. He said, if you want to hear God speak, read the Word. If you want to hear God speak out loud or audibly, read His Word out loud. The Word of God is how God speaks to His people today. If I say that God speaks to me in a dream, the problem that there is with that is that God has revealed something to me that you don't have unless I tell it to you or tell it to the whole world. The problem is that revelation is then limited. If there's anything we know about God's revelation is that 
it can't be, it's not limited. The revelation of God is something that He can do however it is that He chooses. Now, this also comes down, what it ultimately comes down to is ignorance of the Word. This is why unbiblical movements are so popular, such as the prosperity gospel. I am under the belief that if people, if 80%, if people would read their Bibles, the prosperity gospel would lose 80% of their followers. I'm convinced that people, if they would simply read the Bible for themselves, if they would honestly seek God for themselves instead of relying upon what somebody has to say. This charismatic movement, it relies upon ignorant people coming in who have money. If they have money, they're good. That's what we want. Ignorant people who have money and they are able to give. There's also a movement I've got listed here known as the New Apostolic Reformation or the NAR. This is a cancer in the religious scene. This is just something that is awful. It is something that is absolutely terrible. And in fact, many churches hold to this, such as the church, you know, the big massive churches that you think of that multiple campuses like Bethel or like Hillsong or churches like that, that they constantly have crusades where their preachers are healing people and are doing just crazy stuff. But again, no theology, no uh, theological depth at all. Nothing is ever given. You will not find it. It's the same thing, uh, you know, on the radio, on the radio, uh, you might hear some Christian songs, and there's some that I like. There's some that I like very well, and there's some, there's some that play that I think, man, there's just no depth to that at all. I mean, it's just, there's just nothing there at all. Uh, some of the songs that are on the radio, a lot, a lot of the songs that you may hear come from Hillsong or Bethel. And uh, uh, some of them, I'll admit, some of them, they sound good. Some of them, I like them. But what it's sometimes used is kind of a gateway to get uh, into the church or something like that. So, so just be careful with that. So just be careful with that always. Um, but some of the songs come out and some of them, they, they honestly, they sound very good. I'm like, man, that's, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. But even though you may hear it, and it may be that way, some other people, they hear it, and they pursue that, and they get into the teaching. That's how they pull a lot of people into the church, not knowing really anything. And here's the truth. In our world today, you're rarely ever, rarely ever are you going to hear a song on the radio that has some good theological depth to it. You do once in a while, but rarely is that ever. You hear something very, it's got depth. It, what they're looking for on the radio is something that just passes the theological smell test. That's all they're looking for. They're just looking for something like, is this going to not make everybody upset? Is, the, is everybody going to kind of agree, all the different denominations, are they going to kind of agree that this is okay? So again, ju just be careful with that is what I'm saying. That's, that's all I'm saying there. So uh, ig this ignorance of the Word, this ignorance of the Word of God, it all comes down really to a, a spiritual blindness that is upon people, but many people are just purely lazy in that they will not study the Bible for themselves. The only Bible that they hear is whenever they get in church and they just hear the Word of God read, which at a church like North Bright, that is a great thing because I know you're having good, good uh, nutritional preaching in that you are getting the feed, the spiritual feed that you need to continue on. However, when there's no depth, when you get into these other places, there's nothing at all. There's absolutely nothing at all, and these people do not know the Word, and they have no interest in looking into the Word at all. There's a popular song that came out in the 90s. It was called Holes in the Floor of Heaven. Some of you probably heard this before. I've heard it at funerals. I've heard it used in many, many uh, occasions to kind of make people feel better. 
This song, Holes in the Floor of Heaven, it, it's about this little boy. It's about this little boy who his grandmother dies. And so he's crying, he's upset at this. And his father tells him, you don't need to, you don't need to cry, it's okay, because you see that rain coming down out of the sky? He says, that's your grandmother's tears coming out of heaven. He says, there's holes in the floor of heaven. And he says, those are her tears pouring down. He says, that's how I know she's watching, wishing she could be here right now. And people eat that up. People eat that kind of stuff up. That's what they want. That is what they want. When you start talking about straight is the way, uh, narrows the gate, or straight is the gate, narrows the way, they don't like that. That's not what they like. Whenever you start saying repent or perish, uh-uh, we don't want that. Oh, there's holes in the floor of heaven now like that. When it's raining, that's, that's the tears of people wanting to be back here at heaven. They're just, be back here at earth, they're just crying. That goes against every teaching of heaven that we got in the Bible. Is that really how you want to think of your loved ones in heaven crying, wishing they could be back to earth? Why would I want to go to heaven if that is the case? But that's not the picture. Instead, we are with Jesus. We are there in the presence of God. But yet people flock to this other idea. And you say, well, there's no way that many people hung to that. Oh, buddy, there is. That song got to number two on the country charts, and it would not have done so unless there were church-going people who listened to that song and pushed for it to be on the radio. That's the world that we live in, and you see this all the time. So, quick question. I'm going to close right here. How do I avoid these things? How do I avoid all of these things? Well, you have to compare everything against the Word of God, everything. Compare it all against the Word of God. I don't think Brother Matt would mind me saying this, but anything that he preaches, you ought to compare against the Word of God. You ought to compare anything that you hear against the Word of God. That's why you ought to have your Bible open or, or watching, or, or if the verses are up, whatever it is, you ought to be knowing this is the Word of God, and this is what's being said, and this is what it means. The reason that we know that there are no apostles today, and again, I didn't clarify this, but I am a sensationalist. Uh, sensationist. I believe that the miraculous spiritual gifts are not in effect anymore because those are not needed anymore. We have the full Word of God. With apostleship, God commissioned apostles. He commissioned, no, or he commissioned apostle, apostles and no one else is able to do that. No one else is able to commission apostle. No one else is able to give you a certificate that says that you're an apostle. With tongues, they, uh, the need for them has been fulfilled. The need for them has been fulfilled. If you recall this, listen to what Paul said about tongues in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, love never ends. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now that's the part there when the perfect comes. So what that's basically telling us there is that when that which is perfect comes, when that which is perfect comes, then those things that are in part, there'll be no need for those anymore, those will go on. Many people interpret that to mean that the Word of God is what is being spoken about there. Now, many people say that because the word that is used for perfect there, I didn't say I'd use any more Greek. I'm going to do this without looking. The word that is used for perfect there is a word that is not either masculine or it's feminine. And every time in the Bible that this kind of word is used, 
it is always attributed, uh, whenever it's used here for this word perfect, it's always attributed to something that we would consider some kind of object. Whether it's in the book of uh, Jude and it's, or James, if it's in James chapter 1, if it's the perfect peace of God. Uh, or whether it's in, um, um, I didn't write down my other references. But anyway, whenever it's used, it's something that talks about something that is not, uh, it's not masculine or feminine. So anyway, with this being said, many have interpreted this to be the Word of God that this is talking about. So with the completion of God's Word in that we have the completed Word, what else is there that we need? I've got the Bible. I've got the completed Word of God. I don't need an apostle. I don't need somebody. I've got what the apostles have said through the inspiration of the Spirit. I've got what God has given, so there's no need for this anymore. With prophecy, again, the law did not allow a single mistake. So any prophet who makes one mistake, he's done. That's it. But yet they constantly say, I'm sorry, that was my fault. God was right, but I did wrong there. But people don't know enough to rebuke them. Healing. The need has been fulfilled. The need has been fulfilled in that anybody is able to see that this is something that was a miraculous gift that God intended to glorify Him. Now, one of the arguments that is made is that you never see uh, in the final epistles, you never see mention of tongues or you never see mentions of healing. Uh, I don't believe that's the strongest argument because it's the argument of absence, which... Uh, uh, is classified as a uh, logical fallacy. Uh, however, it's, it shouldn't be discounted uh, because that's true. In the first epistles, you see tongues mentioned, you see miraculous healings mentioned, things like this, but then you don't see it at all in the later epistles as you approach the death of Paul. You don't see this at all. In fact, even as Paul was able to heal people, uh, such as the one who fell out from the window. As Paul was able to heal other people and apostles were, there were other people like Epaphroditus who, was, who Paul did not heal. Paul, in fact, did not even heal himself whenever he had the thorn of the flesh that he went to God for. You see examples like this where healing was not always, always the solution. So in closing here, 1 Timothy 3, 16, 17 passage you're very familiar with, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. If you've got the complete Word of God, and you do, you've got what it is that you need. You've got all of the revelation that you are in need of in that you can know what God has intended for you to know. You can have what it is that you need. So the dangers of the charismatic movement is this. Ironically, ironically, because what you hear in the movement so much is the emphasis upon the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to give me the anointing. The Holy Spirit's going to fill me. The Holy Spirit's going to do this. It's going to do that. The Holy Spirit's going to do this. They're always talking about the Holy Spirit. But ironically... They downplayed the power of the Holy Spirit by saying that they take part in attributing with whatever gift that they have come up with. The reason why we actually promote the power of the Holy Spirit is this, is that God is so strong, is that God's Spirit is so convicting that God doesn't need nothing else but His Word. God's got His Word, and buddy, I'll stand upon that. And for you to tell me 
that I'm a fool for not listening to somebody's dream or not listening to this or that. I would say you're close-minded for not knowing that the Word of God is all that you absolutely need. God gave it all to you. And so whatever it is that may come your way, whatever teaching it is that may come your way, do what God has intended you to do. Weigh it against what the Word of God says. Not against feelings, not against anything that may be within you, but weigh it against exactly what the Word of God says. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for this opportunity to be able to look into Your Word at certain verses, Father, and to be able to pull out things, Father, that glorify and honor Your name. And I pray that You help us above all, Father, to be truthful and accurate with everything that we do. I pray, Father, that You please bless this church. Help them to continue to follow Your way. pray that You bless this pastor and his family, that You would help him to continue to preach the gospel in the face of all of the enemies that oppose Your way. We thank You for loving us and for Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's in His name we pray. Amen.